0: This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film, criticism show and podcast. My name is Thomas Cordwell. I'm joined by Alexandra Helen Nicholas and Emma Westwood and making his first appearance on the show since leaving almost exactly one Come year up. ago... <laughs> Original Plato's Cave presenter and founder, Josh Nelson.
1: Good evening. I'm like Michael Myers. I'll come back on this date every year to haunt your airwaves.
0: It's been almost exactly a year since you did the last show with us.
1: That's no coincidence. You you think you're all getting out of the cave alive.
2: (laughs) Fits the theme, doesn't it? <laughs> it's mean,
0: alive. You just stop. Yeah, you, you, you just stop showing up. You haven't
1: a Wednesday. We, to your subscriptions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I gave him. A,
2: that was the entree
0: for him. Sorry, you were feeding you me. It. You were oh. feeding me that line. Well, we, we'll quickly do that blurb now. Uh, you do this Wednesday, the twentieth of September. You've got it until five pm to 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 come good on your your pledge to subscribe to Triple R or to, or just to take up a subscription. You may not have done it by now, despite all our badgering, because you were low on cash at the. Time, or you forgot, or you procrastinated, which I'm, we're all experts at, let's face maybe it. Maybe you're a bit crap. Or maybe... <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> you can reverse all that now. You've got, yeah, until 5pm on Wednesday. You go into the running for all the prizes that were on offer throughout the Radiothon as well. So, look, during business hours, do call 93881027 to become a subscriber, or jump online at this moment and go to rrr.org.au. All right, we are going to be talking about some films tonight. We're going to be looking at the highly acclaimed and much anticipated documentary I Am Not Your Negro about the African-American writer and cultural commentator James Baldwin. We'll also take a look at Patty Cakes. This is one of the big hit films that came out of the Sundance Film Festival earlier this year. It's about an aspiring young rapper hoping that um, uh, that her music is going to get her out of her her, her dull life in in uh, in New Jersey. And in just a moment, we're also going to be discussing the new film by Darren Aronofsky, which is Mother. But look, first, I just want to just want to pause. We don't normally do this so close to the start of the show, but. Everybody in Melbourne in the filmmaking community got some incredibly sad news uh, early last week, which is writer-director Chris Jones had unexpectedly and very suddenly died. Um, I, I, I believe we still don't know what exactly the situation is, why, why it's happened. Um, he was only 37. He, he's filmed The Death and Life of Otto Bloom, which starred Xavier Samuel, Rachel Ward and Matilda Brown, opened the Melbourne International Film Festival last year. I think those of us who saw it, we, we enjoyed it. He, he, he certainly was... Um an emerging voice who was doing something different he was interesting it was um you know I feel like we've been really robbed of um an emerging exciting talent and, and about this time last year I was actually in Wangarata presenting a screening of this film when I had a really lovely dinner with him uh, a, a really a beautiful man very intelligent very passionate and creative and um and that this very unexpected death is extraordinarily unfair. And my heart goes out to his friends, family, and, and colleagues who are really must be, must be hurting right now. So, look, rest in peace, Chris Jones. I'm just really sorry that that happened so early. Um, we're just going to pause for a minute and we'll come back in a moment and discuss the mother.
1: Three triple
0: R. Oh. mother is the new film by american writer director producer darren aronofsky best known for films such as requiem for a dream the wrestler and black swan Mother has been described as a psychological thriller. It's also been described as a horror. It's been compared to the films of Roman Polanski, in particular Rosemary's Baby. It stars Jennifer Lawrence as a woman who lives in a large and isolated house with her husband, played by Javier Bardem. He's an acclaimed poet, struggling to write again, and she spends her time restoring the house and becoming increasingly unnerved by possible hallucinations, unexpected house guests, and her husband's increasingly strange behaviour co-starring Ed Harris, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, Donald Leeson and Kristen Wig. It's a film overtly designed, I think, to be highly open to interpretation... In fact, I felt like it should be retitled Symbolism the Movie. <laughs> um, you look so I, proud of that, topic. I, I, I As soon, as the, as, soon as the credits roll, I thought this should have been called Symbolism the Movie. I, I, I really, really if Mel just, Brooks had directed that, I would love it. Like the Parker and Stone, <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's funny. It, 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 look, it's been a divisive film. All the negative criticism I've read of it, I disagree with. All the positive criticism I've read of it, I also disagree with. <laughs>
3: It's kind of like that. Welcome to Plato's cave. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Let let's hash this, yeah, I, I, I don't want to declare my hand too early. Let's hash <laughs> this interesting film out.
2: I thought, that, yeah, I'm kind of the same as you. I think uh, Thomas, in that I don't agree with sort of either side of the criticism, and I don't feel. I guess it's the type of film people say that you'll never sit in the middle. You'll feel strongly one way or the other, and I don't
0: really yeah, feel no, strongly one I, I, way I or the other. I don't either. I'm with you one hundred percent. No,
2: and I think that yeah, Symbolism, the movie, definitely it is that. But um, everyone's sort of talking about it like it's this. Confusion, and it seemed very straightforward to me. Really, yes. Um, okay. Yeah, it's not just you me. Felt the same.
0: So right. either we're all really smug, or oh, we're just <laughs> so smart. No, yeah.
2: well, no,
1: no, no. I think it, we were talking about this. i this idea of the publicity machine behind the film. Mm. and Is that what is the selling point? Because uh, even the studio, like, it's the most outrageous studio film ever made. I don't know. That's a bit of a stretch. And we were just talking about Salo, weren't we? Before this idea of the weird film, like that, seems to have not just been from a publicity level, but it seems to have filtered into some of the critical mass. This idea of the weird, and I don't think this is a particularly weird film in that sense. It's... it's Weird
2: mainstream? Maybe it's um, pitching it to the mainstream is weird?
0: That's a really interesting comment because I I think the the publicity has been very influential on the Mm -hmm. way critics are responding and it's being embraced as a kind of midnight movie in the making or or a wacky, mind-blowing film and yeah, it's really really not. I mean, maybe, I went in knowing nothing about it and maybe about 20 minutes into it, I suddenly realised what it was doing. Like, it's kind of a retelling of a famous piece of mythology and as soon as I picked up on that... Mm -hmm. It was just kind of a bit of a coaster ride to see, oh, how are they going to do this bit?
2: Yeah. The the, the Rosemary's Baby parallels really, I felt, were really, really strong, although it's not even... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because
0: I didn't get that vibe at all, but you surface.
2: It was more that I think I found it a play around ego. You know, I mean, everyone's... There's, like, a whole lot of ways to infiltrate this that aren't necessarily confusing, as we were just saying, but they're... um, uh, Yeah, it's the, the play around the whole idea of ego and this kind of totally uh, absorbing ego and destructive ego That's Are we
1: talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? Yeah. <laughs> Kurt Russell and his beard were amazing in that film <laughs>
0: <laughs> It was a major theme yeah.
1: <laughs> But let's, you <laughs> know,
2: in, in saying that, it's not a... I've been aware, yeah, you
1: got to catch up for yeah. a year's worth of films <laughs> film. <laughs> Are you just going to do references to a whole year's yeah, worth of films? Exactly
2: <laughs> This is going to be interesting uh, but and Then you can get out <laughs>
1: Ah, I, no, I should have saved that for the next one. <laughs> um, but
2: yes, not a patch on. Uh, let's say not a patch on Rosemary's Baby, and saying that, for about ninety nine percent of cinema is, not a patch on Rosemary's Baby. But uh, I'm a yeah a little biased. I do like that film. I found this actually to be probably funnier than people um, people are giving it credit for, because this whole setup of this. Um, very vanilla partner. Uh, she was. She was actually even dressed in beige and different sort of varying shades of fawn through the whole film. Yeah. Uh, that's Jennifer Lawrence as Mother because they didn't have names. Um, is it, is exclamation a small, mark! Exclamation mark! Small,
1: small M Mother or is she a capital? I mother? think
2: this was a capital with no exclamation mark to no. differentiate it from the title. Mm. Okay.
1: He's also capital H him him you know, in the credits. Him,
2: um, woman and man. Uh, first line of the film, baby. Get it? Yeah. Get yeah, no, I'm it? With yeah. you. I'm with you, Emma. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you're, you're, you're with me. I just, I, I just thought, you know, you, I wanted to keep you up with the symbolism. Yeah, there, yes. You know, yeah, just so you can. I you I keep there's up a bit with of symbolism it. in this film. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but the the whole play on her, like this Stepford wife, setting up this house that's just this country chic cliche place that's her idea of beautiful, not an artist's house at all. And as soon as I saw the Aga stove, it just, I thought, okay, this is, he's playing on the joke. He, can you remember there was a TV a lifestyle, mock lifestyle series that Richard E. Grant did where he and his oh, and a woman were these kind of and 40, 40 and, and cook, cook yeah. and they always talked about their agar oh, and their wonderful agar and there's always this thing is like sort of the ultimate pretension around cooking and <laughs> okay. here's this agar stuck in the, the kitchen and I thought okay he's kind of having a bit of a lend of us, you know, in a certain way. Um, so yeah it kind of got funnier in <laughs> the more, I thought about it. It definitely,
1: actually. it definitely stooped into farce. I thought. Mm. Um, I think. Look, I think. To taking a back step I think Aronofsky is a divisive filmmaker and I actually have a divisive response to Aronofsky I think The Wrestler is an extraordinary film I think it's such a yeah. controlled film I think even the way it's shot the style meets the, the characters I think it's it was a curious change of pace and I thought okay here we have a director who's maturing and then he went and made Noah and I thought <laughs> here is a director <laughs> who has gone back beyond step one Yeah. I thought Noah had really had nothing I thought it was such a disaster of a film so sort of mis- Misconceived on every level. The first half of this or so, or so, I was kind of on board. I thought he... He obviously is a talented director, has talent in some of his direction and obviously it doesn't hurt to have a cast like he has here and there was a sense of unnerving that he was clearly trying to build. The film reminded me almost of a Lars von Trier, sort of mid late, late 90s, yeah, you sure. know, like that yep. sort of Dogville sort of style, Dancer in the Dark, I mean, not as good as either of those but there was that sense of a woman in distress and she's being monstered by an increasing number of people and we can't quite work out if... What we're seeing is psychological realism. If it's just the uncanny, if it's blurring the boundaries between reality and fantasy, and at a certain point, this film then just shits the bed and then luxuriates in it for probably the last hour. And I thought it was just really ham-fisted. And if you're going to deal with a, a religious parable or various sort of political parables like this film is trying to do, I think it doesn't hurt to do it with a degree of subtlety. Which this film, the second half of this film, I think not just, does, just doesn't have. And I, I just, I, I was laughing. I was just sort of. Of shaking my head. I was doing Michael Bay response, kind of, what is going on here? This is just – it's just frustrating because – you can't lay the blame in any of the cast members. I like Lawrence. I like Bardem. I think Harris and Pfeiffer give really strong performances.
0: Yeah, good, good to see them on screen getting some good work to do as well.
1: And I think mm. it's—I think the, the faults of this film really lie with the direction, and it's sad because it's hard to reconcile that this is the same director who is capable of a film like The Wrestler.
0: Mm. Mm. Well, I'm not an Aronofsky fan, and with the exception of The Wrestler, I think his films are either flat-out bad or ridiculously overrated. Um, I, I really do this, like Black Swan. I mean, I'm still horrified <laughs> that that was such a. F- that, that people like that <laughs> film, yeah. Um, and I didn't even bother seeing Noah. But I. Um, I think actually after The Wrestler, I think this is the film of his I've enjoyed the most, but I probably not for the reasons I was meant to. And like I said, once I realised what it was doing in the first hour or so, I kind of enjoyed watching it reenact this famous story. I don't want to spoil it. I think you'll, you'll work it out pretty quickly yourselves. And then that second half you're talking about, Josh, I actually just enjoyed that as a rollercoaster kind of experience. It was so nuts. And, and I... And I think it was well, well directed, even if it wasn't particularly well written. And I think it occur, what occurred to me, I think he's a very good director, but he's
2: and I, the direction I, was I, very much like Black Swan, though. Don't
0: it was you a think? very tight, yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. I don't. I hate coming down on directors who I think are trying to do bold, different things. I, I don't like using the word pretentious, but then I've also got to remember I'm a critic, and that's what I, I'm, I'm, I am meant to be in judgment of these films. <laughs> um, I think, conceptually, he has the ideas of a high school student. I mean, mm. the kind of ideas in this film are so basic. It is so basic and juvenile. A, pro- a progressive high school. Yeah, <laughs> it, it did remind me of the kind of thing I thought would be really cool to do when I was 16, but they, they, they're, they're executed by somebody who does have real command over over film style. But, but mm. yeah, you know, mm. somebody who shows dying love by close-ups of a heart that starts losing colour. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, that, that happened all throughout this film. The The... Yeah, I enjoyed it as a roller coaster. Um, yeah. yeah. I couldn't take it seriously. By the time the film ended, I was sort of trying not to be that obnoxious cinema goer sniggering to myself, but that was kind of happening without me being able to control it.
2: So what didn't you like about Black Swan? Because I find them to be very similar, actually.
0: Well, this was more fun. Black Swan took itself extremely seriously. I found okay. it really pompous, and I didn't like the fetishisation of the trauma of mental illness that though I thought it was mm-hmm. full-on in Black Swan, and this idea that to be creative and have... An Amazing Life is going to be self-destructive. Black Swan set up all these binary opposites, which I thought were meaningless and, okay. and wrong and um, mm-hmm. d- depressing.
1: Well, okay. he d- thing, I think the point of distinction is he didn't write The Wrestler. I, I just had to go back and oh, check right. that today. Oh, that's a good And I point. think maybe it's a material mm. thing. Maybe it's a source material thing. And, I, yeah. and a lot of The Wrestler seem far more collaborative in terms of the cinematographer Maurice... Oh what's she Chris, th- look she, she she shot <laughs> she shot Creed as well I think um, and then you had Mickey Rourke, oh. who's clearly a, a key kind of yeah. creative that um, makes sense. Um, yeah. Contributed yeah. to the film as well. And I felt that film had such an energy and a kind of a imp- sense of the improvised that maybe his role was a little bit less. It was more to sort of steer and keep Rourke in control and sort of steer the material, where here I feel like it's almost the George Lucas factor. He's got complete control. He's unleashed a torrent of CGI in that sort of latter half. And, it, and the, the tautness of that first half be, sort of unravels in a way that seemed mm. it, so kind of in contrast to that, that earlier stage of the film that I, I just withdrew from it. I I just sort of thought you've taken the, the tension that, that 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 you'd built in that first sort of half of the film and and wasted it and spoiled it in a way that was really obvious. It was just sort mm. of clumsy and ham-fisted, and and maybe a director like Lars von Trees would never have pushed it to that extent because the the tension and the drama comes out of the sort of the subtly and the slowly building to something quite dramatic in case of, let's say breaking the waves whereas this was just 40 minutes of an extended kind of the money pit sequence where things <laughs> things are just breaking down and people are ruining the house and it's you know where's tom hanks and Shelley long <laughs> that's what i want from this film yeah i think i think i enjoyed that bit because
0: i'd, got, I'd reached the point where i was like oh, i see what you're doing i'm yeah, over yes. this and then yep. it like goes oh at least he's going silly yeah
2: um
0: but yeah i, I totally saw why, why it could lose you at that moment where yeah i said I keep saying roller coaster. Yeah, no, it's that's how it was. And you're right, it's uh Maurice Alberti was the cinematography yep. of the wrestler and she did also do Creed. So um, The Wrestler is an astonishing film. I, I sort of I need to go back to that to keep reminding myself I might really enjoy an Aronofsky film again. Did one day. Aronofsky
3: write Noah? I mean, not not the biblical story. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes.
0: no,
1: he did. He's been around that it's long. Not that old. Because I
3: think we could be on. I think Detective Plato's Cave. We could be onto something you know? here. It's the same
1: syndrome where it's the director's pet project, and he's been wanting to do it for yeah. years and years, yes. and years and years, and he's finally got it up, and it's like this is. not working
3: <laughs> Sort, for
1: sort of a theme in that film, yeah.
3: Because um, yeah. the Fountain was like that for him too, wasn't yeah. it? That was like a pet <laughs> project, and that, indeed, that was um, Requiem for Good. A dream sort of fits
1: within this. Yeah, I haven't watched that too. since the 90s, and I'm not sure I need to go back and rewatch it. Now. <laughs> yeah. Even Pie, I, I kind of liked at the time as a film school student. And now it's like, ooh, do I dare go back and pull out that mm. dusty DVD? Yeah. I'm a
3: huge Hubert Selby Jr. fan, and i've I've seen I've seen T. calendars date better than Requiem <laughs> for a Dream. I mean, a I think those first two films, especially aside from the Clint Mansell soundtracks, they yeah. they are like they're like a time capsule. They're just so of their time. They're so yeah. zeitgeisty.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, mother, or do you pronounce it? Mama! Mother! mother. It's lowercase with an exclamation mark. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just aware not that, that, that people really love Aronofsky, but I think we, we represent a minority who aren't a huge fan, and we weren't that taken by Mother, sorry.
1: No. Middle ground in a divisive film. That's <laughs> Plato's Cave.
3: You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 FM in Melbourne, Australia.
0: Harry Dean Stanton died over the weekend. Um, one of, I mean, really, truly a one-of-a-kind. Yeah. I mean, we throw around that expression, but there was no-one quite like him. A remarkable mm. actor who throughout his entire career was uncompromising and somehow seemed to fit into every single film he did, no matter how much he seemed out of place in so many of those (laughs) films, and he just stole them all. He was a lovely actor.
1: Our thoughts and prayers go out to everyone currently in the midst of a Harry Dean Stanton retrospective. We'll see you in about four or five years. time.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think people are probably up to about straight time now. I I
0: mean, you you know,
1: uh,
0: Alien, just one of the the big (sighs) ones. Um, He did lots of stuff with David Lynch, Wild at Mm -hmm. Heart, The Straight Story. I think he possibly... My favourite performance from him is at the end of The Straight Story. He's only in one scene. He doesn't say a word of dialogue. He does more acting in that scene than some people <laughs> do in their entire career. We saw him recently in the the new series of Twin Peaks. And, of course, Repo Man. And I'm forgetting the big one. Paris, Paris Texas. Heckers. Which
3: I think is, I mean, it's a cliche, but, like, that's one of those films, Wim Wendor's, um. Paris Texas I think you forget how good it is yeah. and then you watch it and it's like we don't actually don't need any other film we can just stop making film now because Paris Texas
2: exists wow that's like, a big call cool. i have that to watch it again i
3: think it's that good it's yeah. so moving and in large part i think it's in you know i mean you know vendors is a, an extraordinary director and um you know to make a call about his best film is a pretty big one but stanton lives and breathes that yeah. film i mean it's just one of the most profound Movies, I think I've ever seen. I think it's just so mm. beautiful, so, so emotionally intelligent. Um, it's just, but then he would go and you know do Pretty in Pink, the John Hughes film. That's right, yeah. You know, yeah. Which, which he didn't have kind words
1: for. <laughs> he steals the first Avengers yeah. film in, in one scene. Is <laughs> yeah. he he's he's a, in the first Avengers? He's film. the security guard who who stumbles upon Mark Ruffalo naked and goes, "Put some clothes on, son," <laughs> or something like that. It's,
0: it's brilliant. <laughs> oh, I mean, he lived to ninety-one. He had a, an amazing mm, yeah. career. He was very at peace with dying. If you read some of his interviews in the last few years, he was very zen about it all. <laughs> um, but I, I'm just going to miss the world where there's no new Harry Dean Stanton films I yeah lovely (laughs) performer uh, still a complete mystery and a complete enigma which was part of his charm (laughs) you're listening to Plato's Cave here on 3 Triple R Triple R not for everyone for anyone I Am Not Your Negro is a documentary about James Baldwin, uh, the African-American writer, social commentator, activist... An intellectual. Specifically, it's framed around Baldwin's unfinished manuscript Remember This House, which he was working on when he died in nineteen eighty-seven. It was to be a sort of memoir that explores the history of racism in the USA through his memories of his interactions with civil rights leaders Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King Jr. I am not your negro is a combination of combination of essay film, biopic, and a call to arms that includes references to current events and analysis of how popular culture interacts with politics Samuel L. Jackson narrates and it was directed by filmmaker Raoul Peck who was born in Haiti, grew up in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, educated in France, lived in the US and studied filmmaking in Germany
3: Mm. He was the Haitian Minister of Culture, I believe He's an interesting man He's got an extraordinary background Really, really interesting chap
0: yeah, it's funny, actually. I heard an interview with him where he expressed some frustration that for a while people focused on the fact he, he drove cabs in New York and he said that was a really small part of what I did when I was funding myself to become a filmmaker. Like, it, it, I, this is not the cab driver film story. There's, yeah. A, yeah. there's a bit more to my it's,
3: background. It's the Haitian Minister of Culture movie. Like, yeah. it's, it's, that's a different story. But
1: doesn't that cut to the heart of what this documentary is about?
3: <laughs> it really does. This, yeah. is a, this is
0: a hell of a film. I'm oh. looking forward to people who are smarter than I am talking about it. I, so please go.
3: <laughs> I, I I'm going to leap right in here. I love James Baldwin so much, just so deeply. I think I was maybe 14 when I first read Go Tell It on the Mountain. I was a working class kid at a middle class school. Everybody was white. I had no. I was straight. I had no point of comparison really with the experiences that this book or the world that this book was talking about. And it, honestly, I think it's the first time in my life I remember appreciating a work of art for being honest. There was just such a frankness and such a beauty and such a such a mode of address in his writing that I just had never experienced before and it was just like being struck by lightning and I read Go Tell It On A Mountain and soon after Giovanni's Room um, and James Baldwin's just always really stayed with me mm-hmm. and I found just the experience I just his presence on screen is it, it, there's nobody else that really has that effect on me. This is the first time I think I've really enjoyed Samuel L. Jackson in a really long time I think it's one of his greatest performances and he's just is. narrating, yeah. he's just yeah. narrating in the yeah. first person but it's not the Samuel L. Jackson Jackson show you yeah, know exactly. he really tones it back. He really there's such love it and respect in Doesn't sound the narration. way you
0: imagine Jackson to sound, does it? I
3: just um, I'm just so moved by this film. I think mm. that it. I mean you know the surface observation to make is just how completely switched on Baldwin was not only with the politics at the time that he was writing and the history that he was talking about, but it's genuinely chilling how. How profound and how relevant it is today, and I think that's exactly the point that Peck's making. You know, he's showing footage of Black uh, Black Lives Matters protests and things like that mm, yeah. with Baldwin speaking, and it, it's just thoroughly mm. contemporary. But I was watching it and I was thinking, I've seen this film three times now, and it just becomes better every time I watch it. And I do realise I'm rambling, so I will stop
2: in a moment. You know it all.
3: It's great. No, I. I I was really struck and it's like how did this film get nominated for an Oscar and not win and I looked up and it's like what was it up against and it's up against the 13th
0: which Mm. we talked
3: about um, a few months ago it was also um, both of those films lost to um, a seven and a half seven eight hour long um, documentary called OJ Made in America which I wanted to see but on the back of um, I Am Not Your Negro I thought no I'm really going to sit down and watch it these are like a triptych these three films if you can get some way to watch these three three films in close proximity the 13th, I Am Not Your Negro and OJ Made in America. I Am Not Your Negro ends with a question and I'm not going to ruin the film because I think the whole film leads towards this one question that okay. Baldwin asks at the end. I
1: was going to quote that. Um, oh
3: oh you can. You, I, mean, I was too. Um, it's, it's, I think it, I mean, it's a really important, the whole film I think is moving towards this one yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, and I think that the question that he asks is answered in the seven and a half hours of O.J. Made in America. Wow. Um, I think that these films work. I mean, the same footage, I think, is replayed sometimes in all of the, them. You have overlapping images. There's a beautiful um, moment, I think, in I'm Not Your Negro, where there's a man weeping mm. um, at the funeral of Martin Luther King. Mm. And then there's a shot of the verdict coming back for from the L.A. riots um in o j made in America, and it's a man weeping, and it's almost the same image, yep. and it's genuinely you know this idea of history just it keeps repeating mm. and repeating, and we get that in the thirteenth we get that in I am not your Negro and we get that in o j this is i mean, I know I'm going really off topic here, I'm really excited, I love it as well
1: <laughs> <laughs> just just on that, can I just add one more film to that because it's I don't think it's been released here, but I was—I did manage to catch it in the US. That's not a name up but I think it is an important film that hopefully will find an audience here. It's a documentary called LA 92, and it focuses specifically on the LA riots and the, the build-up to it. It's constructed from memory almost entirely of archival footage. There's no voiceover narration sort of structuring the events. It's just, I think, it's maybe some title cards sort of outlining the, the, the timeline of, of events. Some footage that I'd never seen before. And again, this... The last two years, particularly in the States, when it's not even pretend that, that racism is a new issue in the States, but in its current form in the way in which and it's not just Donald Trump, but he has been a kind of lightning rod for bringing out of the woodwork the, the abject racism that's existed. And now it has a kind of license to procreate. Now it's sort of growing and, and, and now it's in a, in a far more vocal and violent form in, in the states and i think it's no coincidence that these documentaries have come along in the last eighteen twelve 12 to 18 months because america is reaching a kind of crisis point it feels you can feel it on the streets of new york you can feel it on the streets of austin you certainly feel it in in new orleans at the moment this is a this is a country that feels like it's very much moving towards a, a race war which is what this documentary sort of explores this idea of of, of racial politics, and I think you know Baldwin is so eloquent, and again, it's, it's so prophetic, and it's so sad that it's prophetic because what has this this, this nation sort of learnt? And he talks about this idea of the story of America is the story, the, the story of the Negro in America is the story of America. It is not a pretty story, mm-hmm. and I think that for me, that that lines like that, the eloquence of that is is. It sort of encapsulates, I don't want to say the problem of America, it's it's too simplistic a way of describing it, but there is, is something seriously rotten at the core of a nation that won't confront its own racism and the way in which he... he points to not just politics and not just kind of you know historical events but popular culture is is really is really intelligent and articulate particularly the references to the sydney poitier films i thought that was interesting and given we've covered some of those films on the show the defiant ones i rewatched in the heat of the night this week and again it it, it inflects your reading of that in, in a kind of a, a very different way i think
2: mm-hmm. and aesthetically um this this film Uh, It's a documentary film noir, really, and it plays on the black and white on so many levels, as in thematically, but also visually, it's all about the black and white as well. And that beautiful black and white footage, and particularly central to it, as well as that unfinished manuscript of, um, Baldwin's, is the, um, that footage of Baldwin that they have from the, the, like, the, uh, the TV talk shows that he appeared on, where he is just uh, such a raw orator. He, he just kind of, he's, he's. A master orator, but he manages to wear his heart on his sleeve, and just you can see you can see what he's been dragging around with him. You see it in his eyes; yeah. like it's just captivating to see him. But also, he sits there and he he smokes <laughs> through the whole thing. So it's like it it really feels like the, the aesthetic is from somewhere else. It reminded me, and Alex, you could probably back me on this. Those uh, all those Serge Gainsbourg um, interviews from that, that same, same TV s- aesthetic, yeah, 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 and from that same time. And, and Gainsbourg has a way of speaking that's very similar to that as well and interestingly, Raoul Peck being in France and so forth. Well, Baldwin's, Baldwin's Baldwin's Baldwin spent a lot of time in France. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. And, um, and There's something timeless about that style of interview, isn't there? Isn't there? Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I just yeah. thought that he to watch him speak is just absolutely compelling and the fact that he didn't, he's not someone to paint um, a completely broad brushstroke. Like he talked about how he couldn't subscribe to a particular religion or to uh, um, groups or anything like that because he couldn't it, it's kind of like now that you see played out in social media where there's a left way of thinking and if you're thinking left then you've got to agree to all of that and he doesn't he he, he proves that that isn't that isn't true, that isn't correct, or people shouldn't. that's not individualistic thinking. and he actually has white mentors, like that's um that teacher he had, bill Bill Miller, and he talks about different white personalities that have been really important to him. Um, so,
0: yeah, well, we see him on a panel discussion with other progressive Hollywood. Yeah. Types. And, and, you know... Brando. You're not surprised to see Brando there, mm. but Charlton Heston was there. Charlton Heston.
2: So, <laughs> <laughs> and I think this
0: reminds... I mean, Charlton Heston certainly had some pretty outrageous views yep. t- about sexuality and, and, and gun ownership, but clearly he was very progressive when it came, came to race. Well, I, I don't know, but the suggestion is in this film yep. that it is. And it's what, like you were saying, Emma, th- there was a day when I think people <laughs> adopted issues on an issue-by-issue basis, mm-hmm. rather than this incredible kind of binary, this is my identity... I think ideology can be just as dangerous as religion when it starts subscribing to a mode of thinking and following certain leaders. It's just these days they're, they're, they're on, on, on Twitter. <laughs> and, 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 and people stop analysing issues on a case-by-case basis. And that's why this film is so mind-blowing and eye-opening, just to throw in two silly... Um Cliches. Um, he was a deep thinker. He was a complex thinker. It, and and his, his way of thinking is just as suitable to write now and just as complex um, by today's standards as it was back then. I mean, a remarkable mm. man. And I think this film gives voice to him. I think Raoul Peck has been extremely humbled with making this a James Baldwin film, not a Raoul Peck film. It's so skillfully and artfully constructed. That
2: Cambridge debate, that was amazing, yeah. that footage. just to see him step down and and the camera kind of pulls back and there's this whole white audience just, you know, on their feet cheering for him. It just shows the power that this man had. Unfortunately he passed away in 87 and we're still going over the same issues which is very sad, but um, just a compelling voice.
3: You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia.
0: You're listening to Players K here on Three R with Thomas, Emma, Alex, and Josh. Who? <laughs> <laughs> so Josh gave himself a woo. <laughs> Patty Cakes is the debut feature film by Jeremy Gasper, who previously had a background as a music video director and a singer. The film stars Australian actor Danielle MacDonald as a young woman who dreams of becoming a famous and successful rapper so that she can leave behind her dull life in New Jersey. Or New Jersey. Oh <laughs>
2: Jesus. Julesy. My
0: God. I do accents as well as I pronounce <laughs> words. When <laughs> I think, is the New Jersey accent one of those accents you can butcher and it offends nobody?
2: Except for people from New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I wouldn't push Sorry that. Sorry to our New Jersey listeners. Hey.
3: Yeah. <laughs> just hey. gonna, we're just going to alienate our entire New Jersey demographic, guys. I have to go back that direction in <laughs> the yes, woods in a few they're going to find you.
2: <laughs> They'll be waiting for
3: you. I'll,
0: I'll just get back to the, the, the intro. Um, <laughs> when Patty and her best friend and collaborator Jerry team up with a goth metal performer bastard... Uh, <laughs> It suddenly looks like she has a chance of succeeding with her music, despite the lack of support from her mother, who is still bitter about the fact that her own music career in the 1980s was cut short. Did we enjoy Patty Cakes? Before we
3: start, can I thank you for describing her as a young woman? I've read a lot about this film, and I actually kept a list of the words that male film critics used to describe her physically. And I'm not kidding. We have chubby, Rubenesque, Portly, yep. heavy set, and my favourite stout. Stout. <laughs>
2: just, Is she a drink now? This
3: just these dudes <laughs> trying stout. to find a way to, <laughs> trying to find a way to talk about this young woman's oh, body. Crazy. Like it was just. I was genuinely kind of got it's like oh is that where we're at like as a culture like cuz that's what when's the film is about time, when's the last time you heard the word portly that's crazy like yeah it's i mean she gets called a lot worse in the film and i think that's part of the
0: plot it's a characteristic but, but it's not um, a it's i don't
3: think it's essential to talk about a, the film to t- call her Rubinesque oh,
2: it's that's, not the story it's no. not the story no.
3: <sighs> when i saw yeah. this i thought um I, you know, I enjoyed it. And I don't really have anything to think, you know, anything to say about it. And then two days later, I was still thinking about it, which is interesting. <laughs> so good. I sort of – I've been reading a lot about this film and I think it's um – um, yeah, I mean the big points of comparison. I think are films like I mean, um, Eight Mile, the Eminem film, is a really obvious point of comparison. Hustle um, and Flow, something like that.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. Yep.
3: Purple Rain gets mentioned a lot, and mm-hmm. I thought Matt yeah. Zoller cites he he compares it a lot to Rocky, which I think is a really interesting point of comparison. Oh, I, too. Rocky
1: crossed my mind. Yeah, as well, uh, Rocky yeah. really. Eight yes. Miles. Rocky was the yeah. kind of inspiration yeah. for Eight Miles. Yeah. Like, yeah, Rocky, it's, it's Rocky, Rocky of, the microphone. Yeah, it
0: was, wasn't it? Well, he
1: Rock- loses the, structurally. The the narratives are almost identical. Like, he loses yeah. the. First First belt and the mm. first bout, and then has to kind of fight, fight, yep. fight. Gets his shot at the chance, and then boom. Purple
3: Rain is kind of that too. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's it's that that narrative. But I think a lot of things that um, a point that people are pointing out constantly is like, but purple rain uh eight mile these are real musicians she's not a real musician she's so, amazing the, you know, is the, she's incredible she's, she's, amazing. she's, she's, she's going to be a star. She's going to be playing a,
0: star. a new jersey rapper her it's, background yeah, it's is quite extraordinary i yeah. found it
3: so interesting she moved to the u.s she went straight pretty much straight from high school at the age of 18 to the u.s she had an agent here for a couple of years didn't get one audition not one mm-hmm. and now she's like this indie film star um and she's been lovely you know in, in interviews but she's saying yeah you know I
2: just don't think there's that much diversity in the Australian film industry and I think she might be right. Mm think she might be right this what's really lovely about this film is it's such an inc- inclusive film in every way it's not just about Rubenesque girls getting their, <laughs> getting their way in the world or white girls and or black guys or whatever it's also the nanas get you know in on the action <laughs> it's Kathy it's Moriarty in, from Raging Bull thank you very who? much
0: yeah, that's
2: right Queen. still saucy she's still got it going on Kathy Moriarty she's a bit of a
0: scene stealer in this isn't yeah, she she's great she's great, yeah. she's mm. great. And so
2: and it just um it just embraces all types and brings all types into the hip hop story, which you know is is usually the or has previously in history been the story of uh, a particular type can we say hip hop type whatever that is but now they've um uh, th- this this idea of um you know the story of a girl um just with ambition and using hip hop as that as that means um, was so was so very effective and I really loved the the way that um, I, unlike Eight Mile in this it didn't have it wasn't so gritty it was more played for um, it had some sort of nice little graphics and little intercutting and um, it just had a bit of more of a playful feel to it that worked or worked syner- synergetically is that a word
1: <laughs> I should say I haven't seen it but given the last yeah. one we talked about does the- film deal with with race?
2: Yeah, it's, a, there's a, it's a weird... I don't know. The cultural
3: appropriation thing is strange. There's a line in it where the yeah. um, Barb, her mother, says, why don't you act your race? So it's... It, but that's quite probably sure. the only thing. I'm not quite sure... How it's, a, this it's
0: a diverse cast yeah. and and like like the, the, the death metal guy is is black so Jason
3: DeRosso from Radio National they cast had a great type, yeah he had a great point that yeah. um, sorry to interrupt you but he made a really great point that, that you know if there's questions of cultural cultural appropriation of a white girl doing rap yeah. then in a way it's almost balanced by the black goth guy that you know that it's people swapping these kind of racial assumptions or cultural I assumptions. It, I think it did yeah. that. And, and, her nice is, and her
0: wingman is this Indian guy, and, and, yeah. and just he's just played by an Indian yeah. actor, it's and it's not. Um,
3: it's a very dark film, I think that we have to say. It's pretty gritty. Oh and pretty yeah, ugly yeah. in places. It's like
0: uh, the, yeah, cause the, that appropriation thing's interesting. I think the idea behind this film is, is is music and culture is something we should all be able to access to to advance ourselves. There was never this sense that by her doing hip hop, she was denying. Yeah, it, no, or taking I didn't. It. I didn't I mean to insinuate no, that. I was just no, no, fascinated. It's a good question no, it's yeah. a really because I, it's, I went into this film with that at the back of my head, and it's a, one that, head as well. And it's one that
3: a lot of critics have avoided, yeah. which I think is mm. really, really important
0: too. I mean, you not going to avoid those kind of questions <laughs> on Plato's <game. laughs> <laughs> Into the meat
3: of it. it is a, I mean, there's this beautiful scene and it actually reminded me, remember a couple of years ago we talked about Xavier Dolan's film uh, Mummy? There's a great Mummy, yes. scene in that where he's uh, the main character's walking down the street and I think he's listening to music on an iPhone and the screen goes to, um, goes from like a it, small... It
1: expands, yeah. Um, the small frame ratio. Changes. Thank you. The aspect yeah.
3: ratio goes from a very sort of thin one to wide when he's mm. affected by the music. There's a similar scene in this film where she literally she's walking down the street and she literally flies up. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Over, and it's not it's not a fantasy film by any stretch. It's a pretty grizzly film. In some no,
2: that's why those, ways, little, and it's those little, little touches
3: little were great. Yeah, yeah. Really, I mean, I, I really loved this film. I really enjoyed it. I really went with it.
0: It's a really good example of the of the the, the beauty and the skill of repetition because it follows very familiar generic beats, but it does its own thing with them. So even though you recognise how the story is, is evolving, you're still totally with it.
3: One of the best ways I heard that described is, um, I think it was Matt Sites again actually pointed out that, um, that the film is sampling the kinds of films like it. So it's sampling 8 Mile, it's mm-hmm. sampling you know, it's basically. That's a nice, I and like that I think that that's a beautiful way yep. to describe yep. it. I think that's very, I mean, he was sort of, I guess, 50-50 on his take on the film. He certainly wasn't as glowing as a lot of the reviews have been for this film. I think it's gotten an extraordinary response. Mm. Um, but I think that's a great way to kind of consider how this, or to think through how this film deals with the kind, you know, the tropes that it's dealing with. It's sampling. Mm. It's mm. a sampling mm-hmm. film. Yep,
0: perfect. We've just been talking about Patty Cakes. That's on limited release courtesy of twenty century fox we also looked at mother that's on general release courtesy of paramount pictures and i am not your negro is screening at the australian center for the moving image courtesy of man man entertainment um that's it for us you've been listening to, to thomas caldwell alex sandra Helen, Nicholas, Wesley. <laughs> i've forgotten your name and and and, and josh nelson <laughs> oh my goodness I, I, I oh, you right good. um
3: it's a pretty long name, it's all right.
0: The podcast version of the show is edited by Faith Everard. On next week's show, Josh, you're going to pop back again? I will. Woo-hoo. Fantastic. I look forward to doing it all with you then again. That's it from us. Good night. Keep listening to R as local and or general with Jason Moore is up next. This has been a podcast from Free R 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.